All right, well, it is good to see you guys here. Thank you all for being here and being a part of today's teaching, today's worship, which has already been a huge blessing to me. I'm probably speaking for you as well. We are closing down Esther, orphan, queen, heroine, and this is where we've been. Uh, we've gone through the God's unseen providence, all of these uh, for the first four weeks, and then this is this last time. As we go to this next slide, you'll see at the very bottom, that's where we are. It's Esther's lasting legacy. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and uh, you can see where all we have been. It has been a blessing as we go through this book, because as Eric mentioned just a little bit ago, it's almost like a, a movie script, really. And so because of that, it has just been great, but it is also, you know, in our, in our world today, even so many years later, literally 2,500 plus years later, we're still looking for, you know, heroes for our young ladies to look up to. It's not because we haven't necessarily got those kinds of heroes. It's sometimes that we don't really give them the opportunity to shine. And I love how God's word is early on that bandwagon, about 2,000, 2,500 years early, to be there to share what God is doing through the ladies that he uses in his kingdom. Today we're talking about Esther's lasting legacy. And I believe that Eric already mentioned this, so I don't want to go too far down this road. But you heard Eric mention on this next slide how... Now, uh, there is a, a law that cannot be repealed. They were trying to convey to them that they were gods. Those rulers and those kings were, were gods, and so they were infallible. So because of that, they would not allow their laws to be repealed as if they had made a mistake. And so it's very important that we grasp and understand that any time this happens and it gets signed into law and the signet ring that Eric read about a moment ago gets pressed down, that's a huge deal because it cannot be repealed. And this is not the first time in the scriptures here in Esther that things are kind of bumping up against this rule. As a matter of fact, almost uh, contemporary in the same time frame, you see in the book of Daniel that it runs up and butts up against the, the problem that Daniel had. And if you remember, they set that law to entrap and ensnare Daniel and get him killed because they wanted his position. He was making them look bad. You can go back and read in Daniel chapter 6. And it goes on and it says that they went to the king, spoke to him about his royal decree that he had already sent out. And did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except for you, that's that God part that we were just mentioning, your majesty, they would be thrown in the lion's den. Isn't that what you wrote and pressed down your signet ring on? The king answered, yeah, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so you see this in Daniel, you see this in the book of Esther, and it's a big part of that story. And uh, so you know the rest of the story from Daniel. Daniel gets tossed into the lion's den because of that. And God once again shows up in a miraculous way. And by the way, speaking of lions, I want to share something with you. We are going to be starting a brand new series as this one ends, not next week, but on the 15th of August. We want you to be here for the, uh, the sermon series entitled Lionhearted, Living Beyond Your Fears. And uh, this is a book with the weirdest name you've ever heard. In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day is the name of the book that we're going to be going through and sharing. So if you want to get started and jumpstart your growth and kind of read a little early, you can find this on Audible. You can 
can find this on a lot of different places. This is going to be a really great book about really kind of pursuing the best life that you have out there. It's called Lionhearted, and it's from this book, so I share that with you as we were talking about, you know, lions, dens, and stuff like that. Of course, I kind of needed to set that up a little bit so you knew where I was going. Here's the old edict that we heard from Esther chapter 3. Basically, dispatches were sent to the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on one single day. And so as Esther approaches the king, she says, we got to countermand this somehow. I have no idea how we can make this right because it's already been put into law, which cannot be repealed. Well, in Esther chapter 8, as Eric read just a moment ago, it, we see that basically the king's edict says, all right, here's the deal. If you want to attack the Jews in accordance with that earlier law that, and decree that we wrote, you can do so. But before, it was the whole government and everyone was against the Jews. But now we are telling the Jews, this is happening, and you can assemble, you can get a group of people together, you can make your own little army, if that's what you choose. And by the way, if you choose to come at them and try to hurt or harm them or their family and they overpower you, then they can take your family and do to them what you were trying to do to their family. And also, the way that it was set up before is you could take all of their goods and their plunder. Here's the deal. If you lose that battle that you choose to engage in, then they can take your plunder, your family, your house, your possessions. So now we're on a level playing field and the government's got a hands-off attitude. You guys all with me? You guys understand what I'm saying? That's how they countermanded this edict that cannot be repealed. If you guys are with me, give me one of these. All right, y'all are good? Y'all knew I was just going to say give me an amen, but today I'm just making sure you're paying attention. And so you heard that it went out, and this is a huge, huge empire that we're talking about. Literally from basically India all the way over to Ethiopia and all the way up through some of what we now know today as the Middle East. And I don't know, they, they sent out these horses, they sent out the edict on these scrolls, each one written in its own script and own language and all of that stuff. But I don't know, there has been recent archaeological evidence, actually, that they also created a t-shirt to go along with uh, the, the, the... Basically, it says, look, come at me, bro. I mean, come on. Okay, that's not actually archaeologically true. There was no Looney Tunes or the Martian or anything back then. But I thought I was just going to check and see that y'all were paying attention. So it's funny, isn't it? I mean, not that, but this is a funny thing that we know about Hitler, and maybe Haman is brand new to you. Have you ever thought about why? Here's probably why. Because Haman happened so much longer ago, but also too. Hitler succeeded, and Haman did not. Have you ever thought about that? And so it's an interesting dynamic here. Before there was Hitler, there was Haman, but God intervened and stopped it from happening. Unfortunately, God did not prevent those things from happening to the Jews around the time of World War II, and there were millions and millions that were exterminated. This just goes to show you how diabolical the hatred of the Jews is even to this day. You can just flip on the TV and see that it still exists in so many places. 
in so many countries. Well, here's the something to learn, though. I want to share another piece of this. The Feast of Purim is still celebrated by the Jewish people in modern times. It was celebrated from sundown, uh, February 25th, to sundown on February 26th in 2021. All right, so I don't know exactly how to pronounce, pronounce the word Purim. I'm probably saying it incorrect because Purim or Purim is maybe the different ways that you can say it, but it probably doesn't really make sense to you. So let me explain something. In You guys have seen these angels, these little baby angels, right? All right, so these little baby angels are not just called angels, but they're also called cherubs. How many of you guys have ever heard of cherubs before, right? Okay, have you ever heard cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee? Who wert and art and evermore shall be in the old hymn. Maybe some of you are old school like me. You grew up hearing those hymns. Well, cherub is the singular. It's one baby angel. Cherubim is two or more baby angels. Seraph is one angel. Seraphim is two. And the pure or the poor, you know, gone to the plural side is Purim or Purim. And so as you see it now, whenever they say we're celebrating the Feast of Purim, it's because each time he was trying to figure out exactly what was happening and when the day ought to be, and he was casting lots. It's almost like shooting dice to see, you know, drawing straws, shooting dice, those kinds of things we're familiar with. Back then, they cast the lots, and the lots, plural, more than one lot was called Purim. Now, have you ever seen one of these kinds of cookies before? Any of y'all ever seen these? These are traditional Jewish cookies, and they're actually, interestingly, referred to as Haman's ears. <laughs> yes. So if you Google Haman's ears like I did, but I Googled it on DuckDuckGo because I didn't want them trying to sell me something for the rest of my life, they're like... Congratulations, you're Jewish. No, I'm not. I'm just simply searching for Haman's ears. And I didn't want Megan Fox's thumb to come up either. Am I the only one who gets that joke? Or do any of y'all? Oh, oh my gosh. All right. That's funny. Trust me. Duck, duck, go it so you don't get Megan Fox's anything else. All right. So anyway, Haman's ears. These are what they look like. They're filled with fruit or they're filled with poppy seeds very traditionally. And they're still celebrating it every single year. Isn't it interesting that this story that maybe you had known about but kind of really didn't grasp or understand is actually something that every single year, once a year, from one sundown to the next, they celebrate. And do you know how they celebrate it? We would love this. We'd love this here. First of all, they give cookies to one another that look like that. I don't know about y'all, but every single holiday with a cookie is my kind of holiday. Can I get an amen on that, right? Yes, Absolutely. They also give gifts, as Eric read a moment ago, to the poor. They say that there's at least two people that you should give something to that are kind of maybe a little less fortunate. So they give gifts to the poor, usually of money. They also get out the book and they start reading the story of Esther. And here's what's great. There's, there's like this pre-prescribed thing that whenever they talk about Mordecai, they all cheer. And whenever they talk about Haman, every time his name is mentioned, all of the Jewish kids have been taught to go, boo, and so, you know, give him that, and even stomp their feet so you don't even hear his name. They get involved and interactive with this story, but they read it from start to finish every single year. 
And so if you didn't know it as a Christian, I'm here to tell you that this is one of those traditions that you take, kind of like the Passover that's been changed into our communion. This is something that we understand and grasp and we kind of share with the Jewish and the Christian traditions in the same way. We just don't simply celebrate it in the same way. But now you know a little bit more. And if you read the book that I talked about reading, you know, from the very beginning, you kind of understand as you read through, get a grasp of what exactly the Feast of Purim is. All right, so here is our big idea. And here is what I want to talk about today. Memorializing God's victories motivates us to act in the here and now. Memorializing God's victories motivates us to act in the here and now. Would you guys say that with me on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Memorializing God's victories motivates us to act in the here and now. Here is what's going on. When they're reading that story, when they're reading that story to those kids, they're grasping that God is at work for them. That's the whole point. And we as Christians should clearly understand that as we memorialize and remember and recall the things that God has done in the past and in our own lives, it motivates us and gets us off the sidelines and puts us in the game. Here's what I'm trying to share with you. For most of us, we've seen God work in our lives. We've seen it happen. We've seen something that could only be described as God's movement. Right? I mean, let me just ask, okay, real quick. If you have had God move in your life in one way or another, big or small, on the count of three, I want you to say amen, okay? So one, two, three. Amen. All right, so you've seen it. I've seen it. But here is the deal. I have to ask you this question. You know about it. Who else knows about it? Who else knows about it? Who have you told? You, you might be married here today, and you might not have even told your husband or wife how God moved for you on your behalf because it's something that you think that you should keep private. But here is the problem. I know that I'm the only one, so this is just me admitting something that none of you can ever identify with, but I'm getting a little forgetful these days, right? I mean, I know things, and then I don't know them, and I know I should know them, so I guess I'm not all the way lost, but I'm in a bad place, right? I should know that things are going on. I should remember these things, but I forget them. But have you noticed that the stories that you tell over and over and over and sometimes it's almost like, oh my gosh, we're going to hear the same story again and again and again. But it's also something that kind of makes your heart glad. Because you remember that these are the stories of your path of faith. And when God has moved for you, if God's people would start talking about the way that God moves in their life, it would probably change other people's lives when they don't care about God. And here's what I mean. If you as a Christian have forgotten, you and I have hope that other people don't have. There is an absence of hope in our world. Just check out all the things that are happening, all the difficulties that people are having, keeping themselves in a good mental place. It's happening everywhere we look. Why? Because there's so much 
lack of hope. There's so much difficulty. So anytime we can memorialize the fact that God is at work and I didn't expect him to show up and yet he showed up and it was at the last minute and I had no way of getting out of this situation, but it was almost like God just reached in and said, I got this, my child, step back, here I come. And when that happens and when we start talking about it, did you notice at the end of what Eric read just a few moments ago? At the end of chapter 8, it says that there were many people who became Jews. Now, hold up. Hold up. You cannot become a Jew and change your race, but you can change your religion. You guys with me? Say yep. Okay. So all of these people didn't change their race. They changed their religion because the fear of God had fallen on them. In other words, they realized when they heard the story top to bottom, when they started memorializing what God had been doing in their lives, other people were like, yep, I want a piece of that because I don't have hope in my life. I don't see things falling for me in that way because I don't follow the Lord. And so it's so important that we grasp and understand that we are the children of God. And we're the ones who, supposed, who are supposed to be memorializing what he's doing in our lives. These are the lasting legacies. Now, hold up just a second and pause with me. I'm almost done. But hang, not, not done, done, but done with this. And then I'm moving on. Okay, everybody's like, what? No, no, no. Not almost done, but almost done with this. Here's what I'm trying to say. You want your kids to follow your faith, right? You want your kids to follow your faith. Do they know your stories? Because if they don't, why would they want to follow in your path? And can I just get real? Because if they see that the only thing that the Christian life is is that you've got more rules to follow... And they don't grasp that you have the supernatural that is yet to come in heaven, but also the supernatural of the occurrences in your life and how God intervenes and how he has a path that he's pushing and directing and guiding us on. That's when it becomes real and they want to follow. Can I just say for most of us as parents, we're not doing a good enough job memorializing what God has done in our lives to our kids. We got to do a better job. That's husbands, that's wives, that's moms, that's dads, that's everyone. And as a pastor, I want to do better of memorializing what God is doing in our church body, not just simply in the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, so this is the lasting legacy that Esther leaves us. She tells us and reminds us that real beauty isn't only skin deep. The, beauty, the beautiful thing and the beauty contest that she won was not just simply about the fact that she was the most beautiful. It was about the fact that she had some inner beauty that was coming out that was attracting him to her. Also, the lasting legacy is that Esther was a young refugee from a broken past, and she becomes a heroine that becomes a legend. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? If, if they celebrate... If they celebrate every single year what happened when God was moving in your life, that's straight up legend stuff, right? Amen? I mean, that's a legend. So it's great when you become the orphan who became the queen. That's good stuff. I mean, that is the first part of Esther, and that's hard to do. That rarely, if ever, happens. But then when she ceases to just be the girl who is doing the right things, and she says, I'm going to get proactive, and I'm here for a purpose. She moves from queen 
to the heroine that we all wish our young ladies and our young men had that kind of courage, that kind of character, that kind of backbone and spine. But then when you go even further and you realize that she stepped up, she stepped out, and God showed up, that's when it becomes straight legend status, man. And that is an amazing thing. And that's part of why we're talking about Esther. She goes from orphan to queen, already a win. She goes from queen to heroine, amazing. She goes from heroine to legend, only God can do something like that. And this is the lasting legacy. And just know that this is also the lasting legacy, that courage, faith, and actions are inseparable. You cannot separate those things. Courage, faith, and action are inseparable. And y'all pray for me and my spelling. I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure I I misspelled inseparable. And some of y'all are like, I think he did, but I'm not sure. Some of y'all are teachers, and you're definitely on me because of this. Here's the deal. I want you to know, I don't have spell check in this program, so please just give me a little grace. That's all I'm asking, all right? Here's the deal. I want to ask a question, and it's purely hypothetical. What happens if Mordecai comes to Esther and says to her, hey, maybe you are in this position for such a time as this? And she goes, You're right. God has really brought me a long way. I cannot believe how good God has been. Here I am in the the palace. This is an amazing thing. And I'm going to pray about whether or not I should get involved. And then she prays about getting involved. And then she prays about getting involved. And then she thinks about it. And then she realizes it's going to possibly cost her her life. And she goes, well... I don't want that. So I'll just keep quiet and I'll be here the next time God needs me. Let me ask you a question. Would we be having this sermon series on Esther? No. No. We would not. Right? I mean, if she has courage, yes, that's great. If she has faith, wonderful. But until she puts it into action... It don't matter. That's the biblical term. It don't matter. For you and for me, can I just be blunt and put it out there? For most of us in 2021, we do courage, we do faith, we don't do action. Just say it. When the moment of truth comes and finds us, and we sing, yes, God's at work, Even when I don't see it, he's at work. But yet then when the moment comes to actually step out, we're like, next time. Getting close to the edge, courage, faith, action, no, next time. You understand? We are not having this discussion about a heroine, about a woman who became queen and then became a legend if she does not act. If she does not put herself out there, for most of us, we're not doing nearly enough of that. And that's why the influence of God is going down, not only in our world and in our community, but it is also happening in our homes. Get serious about taking action and see if God doesn't show up even more than ever before. All right. 
here's what we see. We see this, and this is the heroic word that Esther says. Basically, I'm going to go even if it's against the law. And you guys know this last line. It's the hero kind of line. It's the one that's got the great music in the background. And if I perish, what? I perish. My life does not mean nearly as much as the purpose that God put me here for. And so this is so important. These are the heroic words. But don't miss this. I want you to make sure and see on this next slide, God's victories in your life, unless memorialized, are very unlikely to be remembered nor repeated. In other words, you want your kids to catch something that you're not talking about. You want them to hear something from somewhere, but you're not being faithful to start talking about what God has done and what he's doing. If you don't, they will not hear it. They will not grasp it. They will not follow in that pathway. So you and I, we have to be very serious and very intentional about making sure that we're memorializing what God has done and we're remembering it. I would personally recommend cookies. I mean, that is a good thing. We just talked about it. Whatever it is that reminds you, yes, thank you. That was pretty sharp. That's pretty good. I know we didn't talk about doing that. He just made that decision, but he's like, cookies? Yeah, I've got one of those slides. All right. No, seriously, figure out a way. Figure out a way to make sure it happens over and over and over again in your family and in your life. All right, very quickly, I want to just talk about Mordecai for just a quick moment, and then we're going to move on to three things that we take away. At the end of the book, one of the shortest chapters in all the Bible, this is the entire chapter. I'm going to read the entire chapter on this slide and the next. Just follow along. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all of his acts of power, that's King Xerxes, his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Let me ask you a question real quickly. Is Mordecai a Mede or a Persian? No, he's a Jew, but he belongs in their history because God put him there. He's being memorialized. And check this out. And Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. He was his right-hand man. He was always in the presence of the king. Preeminent among the Jews, held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. And why is that? Because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. In other words, when Mordecai said, I'm going to do what's right for my people, and ceased to worry about what's right and good for me, he became what God wanted him to be. And for most of us, and for our world, unfortunately, we are constantly putting badges of courage on people who are not trying to benefit anybody but themselves. And that's a problem. Because the truth of the matter is, is that my life really doesn't mean that much. And I don't want to be the person to tell you, but maybe you haven't heard but your life probably doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. Thankfully and beautifully, it matters a lot to God. And you can make a huge impact. But when we are constantly trying to put ourselves as the center of some small universe, it's a silly little thing that doesn't matter or amount to anything. Mordecai had something to say about himself. He had been a hero and nobody was paying attention. And then the day that he got paraded around on the horse, do you remember what the Bible says? He got done being paraded around by Haman. 
His enemy, his arch enemy had to walk around and declare, this is the guy that the king wants to honor. This guy right here is the one that the king wants to honor. And as soon as Haman was done, he was crushed because his world was all about him. Mordecai slid off the horse and goes, guess I'm going to go back to the king's gate where I was the whole time before. Wow. (laughs) Not a lot of that in our world. Not a lot of that in our world, is there? I mean, people who can be honored and honored in an amazing way, and then they turn around and go, you know, but it's really not about me. It's just not. And for most of us, we're trying to honor with a badge of courage somebody who is really just doing things for themselves. And yet Mordecai, he was considered great, esteemed by everyone, because he spoke up for those who couldn't speak up for themselves. There's a lot there. I'm going to have to trust you on that one. I'm going to have to trust you to take that one home and think about that one. All right, so let me keep moving here very quick. That is what was going on for Mordecai. Three things to never forget. Never forget that God steps up when we've given up. Things as helpless and hopeless, that's when God steps up more than any other time. Just like Vashti was entrenched and then suddenly she was gone. Just like there was an unchangeable law that was on the books and then it somehow got countermanded. And just like there was a distant king who didn't care at all about Esther for more than 30 days and she walks in and he says, up to half of my kingdom, you can have it. God shows up in the hopeless and helpless times that we think he can't touch. He shows up and says, I have got this. And don't miss this. We've all heard that God moves in mysterious ways, and it is true. But perhaps it's more important to know that God also moves in mundane ways and in mundane days. Very quickly, let's move on to this other thing that we never should forget. God thrives on using broken tools to do his will and accomplish his work. We know that he brought Rahab, the the spies that she hid on the top of her house. Rahab was a prostitute, never would have been chosen by a good Christian group to be the one who is the heroine of that story, but she was. Moses was a murderer. That's why he was on that backside when he saw that burning bush and he was in the backside of that desert. The apostle Paul was the man who tried to kill Christians and yet he became the picture and the apostle of grace. And then Peter who denied the Lord three times and then Christ died. He was appointed as the one who would be his chief spokesman and to be brave in the face of all the things that were coming on. Never forget that God is doing things and using broken tools to get those jobs done. All right, very quickly, Mordecai was finally honored. We've already talked a little bit about that. And then let's go on and go to this last never forget. And that is that we put ourselves in God's hands because his hands are bigger and better. Now, this story reads like a movie. And Haman, who built the gallows, is impaled on them beautiful irony, right? You guys with me? Y'all know what irony is? It's not the opposite of wrinkly, right? Okay. Irony. All right. Come on now. Are y'all awake? Okay. Uh, All right. I was going to say dad joke. Come on. I'm a dad. Give me a break. He also gives the house of Haman over to Esther and Esther says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn right around and give it to Mordecai, the man he couldn't stand. And then 
Haman not only loses his life, loses his house, loses his job. Guess who's in that job? You guys were paying attention, right? His name starts with a mmm and it ends with Ordecai. <laughs> and then the Jews' enemies, they're coming after the Jews. And in the process of them coming after the Jews, God says, okay, you're going to come after me. And I think maybe we don't fully grasp, but those people were probably already disposed to hate those people. And they may have been a danger that was lurking just around the corner for all of those years. And then God brings them out of the woodwork, handles it all, taken care of, and still gets the glory and gains the glory. Because his hands are bigger and better than our hands. So when God swats somebody back into line for us, it never is as good, you know, when we try it as when he does. It's perfect. It's just enough, not a little bit more, not even a little too less. It's just God doing it perfectly like you write it in a script and play it in a movie. This is what we're seeing. So never forget, we put ourselves in God's hands because his hands are bigger and better. Would you guys say bigger and better? Bigger and better. God's hands are bigger and better for you and for me. And you've heard this from Romans chapter 12, right? Where he says, do not try to take vengeance. It is mine to repay. I will take care of that for you from Romans chapter 12. And so whenever we want to take vengeance, we're getting in the way of God doing it bigger and better for us. But if that's the case, we need to re rethink that. I got to tell you this story, and, and real quickly, there's a, there's a story, and you can look it up and kind of go a little deeper if you're interested. It's called crossexamine.org, and the guy there on the left, I know you don't know who he is. I know that some of you have a wig just like that at home, uh, but here's, uh, this guy is named Voltaire. Have any of you ever heard of the French philosopher named Voltaire? Can I see your hands, a few of you? Okay. So here's the deal about Voltaire, and I'm just going to kind of read from crossexamine.org. I don't know the website a lot, but I know this story is there. It says, there's a story from Christian apologists that have told for years involving the French philosopher Voltaire. The story says that basically in all of his writings against Christianity and against the Bible, predicted in 1776, Voltaire said, 100 years from my day today, there will not be a Bible on earth except for one that is looked on by antiquarian curiosity seekers. In other words, it's going to be, be a museum piece and nobody will even have heard of a Bible. So here's the rest of the story. Voltaire, who wrote from a particular house in Geneva, Switzerland, was constantly writing everything he possibly could against God, against the Bible, against all of these things. Well, Crazy enough, Voltaire died, which happens to all of us, clearly. But at the end of about 50 years, there was somebody who came and purchased his old home. And this has been proven. They went back and re-researched it just to make sure that it wasn't an urban legend somewhat that Christians had grabbed a hold of. Here's what's really interesting. They re-researched it and found even more convincing proof. But here's what the story tells us. Within 50 years of Voltaire passing, his house had been purchased by a group of people whose job was to distribute Bibles. 
And they distributed it from the house that they purchased that used to be Voltaire's house. So literally the room that Voltaire used to stay in and used to think about and used to write that one day the Bible would be dead. 50 years later, his house was distributing Bibles. But wait, it gets better. He also had a printing press. And guess what they begin to use that printing press to print? Bibles. <laughs> Voltaire's printing press that used to say, nobody's going to ever care about the Bible. Next. Nobody's going to ever care about the Bible within 100 years. 50 years later, it was like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, for God so it's incredible. You couldn't write this stuff, but wait, it gets better. He even had paper that for those who would purchase extra, like extra special volumes of his work, he would use those pieces of paper for it to be a finer volume. That paper started getting bound in the books of the Bible. I mean, it's his house, it's his room, it's his paper, it's his printing press. And oh, by the way, tell me that God don't have a sense of humor. I'm telling you. God's like, you go ahead and think whatever you want, but I've got this and I've got it bigger and I've got it better than you can even imagine. This is just God being God. And he's working in this way for you and for me, but we need to remember and memorialize what he's doing and has done in our life. Let's keep moving here very quickly. Getting revenge, we've already talked about that from Romans chapter 12. So here is what I would share with you. I've shared this now three different times, at least maybe four. So let's go to this next slide. And you see here, there's preservation and there's purpose. This is that action that Esther took when she stepped off of that ledge, not knowing where her foot would land. She stepped off and said, purpose is more important than preservation. If I perish, I perish, but I'm going to do it by doing the right things in the right way at the right time with God's right power. So here's the thing. For most of us, I really believe that we are constantly thinking about preservation and rarely, if ever, thinking about purpose. We ask ourselves, what do I want to do? And we rarely ever ask ourselves, what should I do? We ask ourselves, what makes me happy right now, literally in this very moment, versus what makes me proud of the person that I am and that I've become over the long term? For most of us, it's about preservation. For people who make an impact in their world, it is about purpose. This is why we celebrate Esther because she lived a life of purpose. So here's the big question that I have for you as I draw this to a close. You gotta examine your own consistent actions. Here's what I mean by the consistent action. For most of us, we can find, if we look hard enough, if we go back far enough, we can find an action where we did for others. But the problem for most of us is it's been a while. It's been, a, it's been a minute, right? And especially during COVID, it's been, a, it's been a long minute, right? Because we've found ways to be kind of exempting ourselves from being a blessing to other people. We're not constantly or consistently serving and doing these things on purpose because, and I don't want you guys to misunderstand, we've been worried about preservation as we should, as we should. But it can also creep in and become a little toxic. You guys all give me a little grace on that because I know you literally can't say the word COVID without it being political, right? It's not political. This is spiritual. If we get too wrapped up in self-preservation, we're going to harm following a life of purpose. Okay, very quickly, here's how you apply this. 
Maybe or maybe not. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I think I mentioned it, but let me just re-mention it as we do. Choose someone or somewhere <laughs> that you will serve this week. And that should not be benefiting you. You don't need to go, man, I'm going to serve my wife this week. <laughs> I'm going to serve my husband this week. That's stuff that you always do, right? I'm going to serve my kids this week. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is getting outside of our comfort zone, getting outside of our own little bubble and serve them in some way. And you may say, well, Randy, we got a pandemic going on and all this stuff. I get it. But man, if we can figure out how to have birthday parties via Zoom and all of these other things, you can figure out a way to be a serve, uh, uh, be a service to someone, somewhere, somehow. It's just a question of saying, I'm not going to accept an excuse anymore. I'm going to go for it and I'm going to do the best that I can. Here's what I would share with you as we close today. Just be that blessing. And here's the end of that story. This is what they do whenever they celebrate and they remember the Feast of Purim. Not only do they make those great cookies with the poppy seeds or the fruit filling, those Haman's ears that we were talking about, but they also give a gift to those who are poor. At least two people, they go out and they serve them somehow and are a blessing to them because they're memorializing what God has already done in their own lives. And folks, can I just put it real blunt? They're celebrating because God saved them. They're celebrating and serving others because God saved them. Now, do I even need to say anymore? That's us. He saved us. If we're not serving, if we're not being a blessing, we're missing it. We're missing the whole point. And let's take this lasting legacy that the Jews, they celebrate and these things and remind ourselves that God is at work. He's always been and he continues to be. And so because of that, I live a life of purpose, not worried about my own preservation. All right, funny story that I hope you will remember. Here's a quick version of it. And maybe you've heard it. If you have, bear with me. There's a group of young boys, probably look like this, but probably dirtier, to be honest. I mean, you know how boys are. They've been running around. They've found a mud hole somewhere, right? I mean, that's just how it goes. And so boys like this run in and they come to this old-fashioned candy store. You guys know the old-fashioned candies? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And say, so, okay, any of y'all ever been in one of these before? Yes, old school, maybe just old. Anyway, yes, I've been in one of these. So the group goes in and all of the boys gather close and they say, I have a nickel and I want this candy right here. And the owner would open the lid. He'd pull open the lid and he'd say, grab some handful for a quarter uh, or for a nickel. Excuse me. This is old, old, old school. And so then the next boy Here's the nickel, and I want this candy. He'd open the lid. He'd reach in and get a handful of candy. They go all the way down the line until the last boy's just sitting there. Got a big old grin on his face. He goes, what do you want? He goes, here's my nickel. And he goes, what candy do you want? He goes, this one right over here. He goes, all right, goes over. He goes, all right, here you go. He lifts the lid, says, grab me some. The kid just sits there and smiles. He's like, get you some, kid. He's like, just sit there and smiles. That kid, what is wrong with your hearing? Get you some candy. And just sitting there and smiling at the owner. Finally, the owner's like, this is ridiculous. 
ridiculous. He reaches in there, grabs him a handful of candy, sticks it in his hand, you know, oh, yeah, pull it like that, you know, catches it in his shirt, runs out the door with his big old smile on his face. His friends go, what was that all about? Why weren't you just getting the candy? The guy's mad at you now. He goes, man, have you guys not figured this out? I said, what? I said, his hands are a lot bigger than mine. <laughs> when we want good things in our life, we do it God's way. His hands are bigger and better than yours and mine. If we can allow him some room to work in our families, in our church, in our communities, in our jobs, in our own lives and hearts. His hands pull us towards what we want. Doesn't make it easy, doesn't make it a breeze, but it does make it the thing that you and I desire most to be a, a person who's living on purpose. And so his hands are bigger than ours. And if we're struggling to be reminded whatever you are frustrated and hurt and angry about his hands have got that too his hands are bigger and better in that situation as well so let's just give God some room to be God let's be his children that remember our job is to sing his praises that's what we do Heavenly Father as we end our time may you take these lasting le lessons and this lasting legacy from this incredible story and make us and remake us into people and even a church body that are more and more and more what you would have us to be. God, we need you. You are bigger and better than us in every way. We give ourselves and submit ourselves to you. So I don't do this every single week, but I hope for just a moment, if you'll just bow your heads, keep your eyes closed, and let's just let people kind of be in a moment with the Lord. Maybe you know that you've been trying to do some things in your own life where it's your hands, it's your power, it's your strength, it's your preservation, it's all about you. It's a little universe revolving around you. And you are now reminded that what you really need is not preservation, but purpose. And, and you want to just say, God, man, I, I want to back off and I want to say it is truly about you. It is much more about you. Your hands are bigger. Your hands are better. You are able to do the things that I cannot do. I'm going to turn over my frustration. I'm going to turn over the path that we go forward from here. And I'm going to let you lead and let you guide and I'm going to be your child. Maybe if that is you today, you just want, want to just simply kind of lift your hand and say, you know, I, I need the Lord to really be in my life in a different way. I've kind of pushed him out and crowded him out. I appreciate that. May God bless you. May God bless you. I thank you. May God bless you as well. Anyone else here today? Thank you so much. May God bless you. Each and every hand, God, please bless in every situation. Thankfully, you know it all. And because of that, we, we can entrust it all to you. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would bless in each one and bless each one. In Jesus' name we